Shabbat Shalom, Shabbat Shalom, and welcome. Welcome to all of you, our out-of-town guests, and welcome to our internet audience, too, as we come into this Kadosh, Kadosh, holy time, as we come into Pesach, Passover, the Shabbat before Passover. We are so blessed. We are so blessed. So tomorrow, we will join again for the Pesach, but today... If you will, let's learn about the Pesach, the Passover. Turn with me in your scriptures to Yochanan, the book of John. Yochanan, chapter 3. Of course, you know it well. Nick at night. Nick at night. And there was a man of the Prushim, the Pharisees, named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Yahudim, of the Jews. And this man came to Yahusha by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher, a teacher, a moray, and you come from Elohim. For no one can do the signs, the nisim, that you do unless Elohim be with him. And Yahusha, he answered and he said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, Unless one is Brit Milah Chalev, born again, he cannot see the Malchut Chashamayim, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of Eloah. And Nicodemus said to him, how? How can this be so? How can a man, when he is old, how can he enter a second time into his emas, his mother's womb, and be born? And Yahushua said unto him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is Brit Milah Halev, circumcised of the heart, born again of water and of Ruach, spirit, he cannot enter the Malchut of Yahuwah, the kingdom of Yahuwah. That which is born of the flesh, it's flesh, it's carnal. And that which is born of the Ruach is Ruach, it's spiritual. Do not marvel at what I said. You must be born again. The wind blows where it desires, and you hear the sound of it. But you cannot tell, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Ruach. And what a way to open up as we enter into this Kadosh time of Pesach. Because it's ultimately going to connect us all the way back to Shemot, Exodus chapter 12, and the Passover. That Passover, because when we see where we have come from, we know where we need to go. And what Yahushua does here is he tells Nicodemus, he reminds him, oh yes, I know where you have come from. You are a ruler now, a ruler of the Yahudim. You're a moray, you're a teacher. I understand where you come from. I understand your stock. But do you understand where you need to go? And that ultimately we're going to see is the message of Passover. It's the message of Passover. It's about, yes, we started with the birth of a nation. We went inside the house, did we not? And we went inside that house, which is like the womb, and that house was smeared with blood, was it not? We went inside that house, which is like a womb, and that house was smeared as blood. And we were slaves. 
And we had a laborious night, did we not? We had a laborious night in which we heard many screams outside the womb, many screams outside of that house. We heard the pains. And then the next morning, when we came out through that bloodied opening, we came out what? As free men, as free women. We had a new birth, did we not? You see, this is what Passover is about. This is ultimately what it's about. Yes, we understand your stock. We understand where you came from. But do you understand where that beginning is supposed to take you? Yehezkel, Ezekiel, in the 16th chapter, he says this. Again, the word of Yahuwah. It came to me saying, Ben-Adam, son of man, cause Yerushalayim, Jerusalem, to know her abominations. And say, this says the master Yahuwah to Yerushalayim, Jerusalem. Your birth and your origin is in the land of Canaan, Canaan. Your Abba, your father, he was an Amorite. And your Ema, your mother, well, she was a Hittite. And as for your birth, in the day you were born, your navel cord, it was not cut. Neither were you washed in Mayim water to clean you. You were not rubbed with salt at all, nor swaddled in cloth at all. No eye pitied you to do any of those to you, to have compassions upon you. But you were cast out into the nations, into the open field." Does this resonate at all with any of you? Because it resonates deeply with me. How on earth did I come to be in the company of the saints when this was my origin? I was cast off from birth. Grew up in the nations, in the pagan nations. I was never washed in the word. I was never cleansed and salt and oil put upon me. How about you? Were you just discarded and left to be dragged up and raised up by the nations with the traditions of your fathers, just like me? And now we sit amongst the company of the saints, the Kedoshim. And look what it says. This connects back to Passover. He says it right here, verse 6. And when I passed over you, and when I passed over you and saw you defiled in your own dumb, in your own blood, I said to you, when you were in your dumb, in your blood, live, live. Yes, I said to you, when you were in your blood, live. This is amazing. Look, verse 3, we had a birth. And then in verse 6, Yahuwah Pesacht, he passed over us. And in verse 6, being in and under the blood gave us life, did it not? Being under that blood is what gave us life. During our years in slavery in the world, in Mitzrayim, we were as a newborn child that was just cast off. 
This resonates so deeply with me, so deeply with me of my first 24 years of life. Yes, we were being born as a nation because he what? He foreknew you and he foreknew me from the womb. We were being born, but we could not see. Our umbilical cord was yet what? It was left uncut. It was left uncut until we came to know the Passover lamb and he cuts our umbilical cord. Our birthing experience is connected to Passover. Our birthing experience is connected to Passover. The question is often asked today. When did Yahushua eat the Passover meal? When did he do that exactly with with his disciples? And we can get so into the calculations and the calendars that we miss the point of Passover. And this is the point. It's important that we do congregate at the right times. It's important that we seek Yahuwah's Moedim, his times, his seasons, his feasts, his festivals, and his Shabbat. It's very important that we do that. But let us never get so caught up in that that we forget this. Does that make sense? Because together we move into the righteous flock of the Kedoshim, the saints, because we come together at the Passover. I do want to talk about the timing of the Moedim because many people have asked us questions. What on earth are you doing? Why are you congregating for Passover at this time? Yet the rabbis, they're doing this. And the pagans, well, last week they were doing that. And there is lots of confusion. So I do want to address that. Because I believe the confusion comes because the Gospels all say the first day of unleavened bread was when the Passover was to be killed. Do we have some kind of mistranslation? No, in the King Jimmy, we most probably do. Or were there two Passovers going on? Have you thought about that? One separate from that of the Jews. I mean, I've taught that in the past. You know, was there like this Moshiach's rehearsal the night before? One separate. And I think a lot of the confusion comes with the phrase, Bain Ha Bain, between the evenings, between the evenings from Shemot. But if you were to turn to Mark chapter 14, verse 12, I'll read it from a couple of translations and hopefully you'll see. Mark chapter 14, verse 12, it is written, And the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover, his Talmudim, his disciples said unto him, Where wilt thou that we go and prepare that thou mayest eat the Passover? Can anyone guess what translation I'm using? (laughs) Thee thy thou though, tither, holy one. (laughs) Mark chapter 14, verse 12. Let's try another translation. Let's get a bit more Hebraic on you. And before the day of Chag Matzot, when they killed the Pesach, 
His Talmudim said to him, Where do you desire that we may go and prepare so that you may eat the Pesach? Different translation there. You see that? You see, it comes down to the Greek word protos. is better translated as before in this context than first. It's the translation of this Greek word protos. It's better to be translated as before, but the King Jimmy translates it as first. Most translators have translated protos as first instead of before, and this becomes a stumbling block, and it causes much confusion within the text. But the Passover is killed and prepared before the first day of unleavened bread. It means first in the sense of before the rest. It makes it difficult, though, for the average reader to understand from the text, especially if you're wading around in the King Jimmy and the not-that-inspired version. Now, to really mess with your mind, because we like to do that, to really mess with your mind, There was evening-to-evening reckoning was occurring at the very same time that others were observing sunrise-to-sunrise. You see, the Jews, or the Feast of the Jews, as it's put in the Gospel of Yochanan, notice that term, the Feast of the Jews. And we were like, well, hang on a minute. These aren't the Feasts of the Jews. These are the Feasts for all Israel, right? It's not specifically for the Jews. What does he mean, the feast of the Jews? They're the feasts of Yahuwah, right? How many of you have said that over the years? I know I have, because people come up to you and say, oh, oh, I see. Oh, so you do those Jewish feasts then. And you're like, no, no, they're not the feasts of the Jews. They're like, oh, yes, they are. Look what it says here in the King Jimmy. And you're like, no, they're the feasts of Yahweh. They're for all Israel and for the stranger that wants to graft in and join in and produce the same righteous holy fruit. Not the pagan nonsense you're doing with your Easter. That's what I would do. That's why I have no friends. (laughs) Except for you, holy righteous ones. What better friends can a man have, right? But you see, we do come across this term, the Feast of the Jews, in the Besorah of Yochanan, in the Gospel of John. But it was the Judean evening-to-evening reckoning that that is talking about. The Feast of the Jews means the Judeans, those in Judea, were reckoning the feasts at a certain time, which was an evening-to-evening reckoning as opposed to those in Galilee that kept a sunrise-to-sunrise calendar, and they reckoned the feasts according to that calendar. So the Gospel of John is actually talking about the evening-to-evening calendar and the way they recognize the day, whereas the other writers who don't target the Feast of the Jews, are talking about a Galilean method, which was the sunrise to sunrise reckoning. Now, 
I'll only quote the Talmud when it, when it is beneficial to me. <laughs> Talmud, the Mishnah, Pesachim 4.5, it is written. In Judea, they used to work to midday on the eaves of Passover. But in Galilee, they used to do nothing at all. In what concerns the night between the 13th and the 14th of Nisan, the school of Shimei forbid any work. But the school of Hillel permitted until sunrise. And I think we may have a graph, something that we can pop up and show you. And you can have time to download these in the notes afterwards because there's a lot of information. You'll need to most probably meditate on these picture graphs. But this text was cited by Dr. Harold Honer from the Dallas Theological Seminary to show that they reckoned in Galilee from sunrise to sunrise, yet in Judea the Jews reckoned from evening to evening. The feasts of the Jews from evening to evening. And this understanding is going to clear up the apparent discrepancies that we see through the Gospels. So let me continue, because this is fabulous as we learn these things. I'd like to take you on a journey as we actually run through the events of Moshiach's Passover, that Passion Week. Yochanan chapter 12, John chapter 12. Then six days before the Passover, Yahusha came to Beth Anya. So this would have been on the 9th of Aviv on the ninth of Aviv. Then we find in Luke chapter 19, verse 28, we find the triumphal entry, Yahusha and his triumphal entry into Yerushalayim. And when would that have been? That would have been on the 10th. And if you go back to the Exodus account, what day were you supposed to bring the lamb into your house? The tent. So Yahusha enters into the house, Yerushalayim, that house who happened to be at the time a whore on the hill, as the prophets say, on the very time he was supposed to, the tenth. So we find Yahusha coming in, Luke 19, 28, into the house on the tenth, just as he is supposed to be. The tenth, the lamb is selected. The lamb would be selected out in Bethlehem, the house of bread out in Bethlehem. That was where the Kohen Haggadol and the Kohanim, the priests, would go out to Bethlehem and they would take a journey out there to select the lamb. This is the very area that the lambs were raised up for slaughter for Passover was in Bethlehem. Isn't that amazing? Just amazing. So on the 10th, the lamb was selected in Bethlehem by the Kohen Haggadol, the high priest. There would have been over 100,000 people waiting for that lamb on the road to Jerusalem. Can you imagine? There would have been 100,000 people or more anticipating the lamb that the high priest had chosen from Bethlehem coming in. And what do they get instead? They get the Moshiach, the lamb of Yahuwah, 
chosen from the foundation of the world. They have him coming in on a donkey draped in a prayer shawl. As he rides in. Imagine, you see, what would have happened with over a hundred hundred thousand people, as soon as somebody started cheering, it would be contagious. You see, and the Talmudim saw him coming, and they would have started cheering. Hosanna, Hosanna. And then everybody else thinks, well, it's the lamb coming in. <laughs> and so they start cheering, and it's contagious. You've got over 100,000 people cheering, expecting this little furry lamb to come walking down the road. And down comes Yahushua on a donkey And the priests and the judges, the Shofim, the Prushim, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they say, you better tell your Talmudim to stop. But I tell you what, if they do, even these rocks, even these rocks will cry out. Well, what rocks? What rocks will cry out? What are you talking about? Well, don't you remember the rocks that they picked up to stone him. All of those rocks in that surrounding rocky area, even those rocks would cry out. You see, so that's what would happen. That lamb was brought into the house on the 10th, and then it was prodded and poked, was it not? It was inspected by those judgmental religious leaders. And finally, Caiaphas washes his hands. He says, I I find no fault in him. The lamb is found spotless and perfect. Spotless and perfect. This is all according to the prophecies. But what we do find, remember, that night when they did drag the lamb before the religious leaders, and we've talked about this this in the Malkitzedic connection, Caiaphas the illegitimate Kohen Haggadol, the illegitimate high priest, he rips his garment, therefore nullifying his priesthood. You have to ask the question, he should be dead, not Yahushua. Who's going to officiate over the Passover that year? Because you've got no high priest, except there was already the transference to the Malkitzedic high priest who is going to officiate over his own Passover. And this is what we see in the Brit Chadashah. This is amazing stuff. So now I'll give you the traditional Judean or the Sadducean method. Now bear in mind that the Sadducees had control over the temple. They were the ones that were running the temple service. So that was the Judeans and the Sadduceans that were running the temple service. And that would have been a evening to evening was how they calculated a day, much like the rabbis do today. And traditional Judaism does today, comes from that. So their method of keeping the Moed, the feast, and afterwards I'm going to talk to you about the Galilean method on how they calculated a day, which I believe is right, from sunrise to sunrise. So with the Judean method, evening to evening, I'm hearing a harp. I am hearing a harp. Malachim are coming. (laughs) What is it? 
Pass me your phone. Give it to me. Give it to me. Is it your work calling? Come on, give me the phone. I'm going to tell him, excuse me, do you realize that we are talking? Can you pass me the phone? Is it your mum? No. Oh, okay. I'll do it. Say, do you realize right now you are live? Just good job that it was angels, not motley crew. Crying out loud. <laughs> the biker in the, le- in the back just left, right? <laughs> I like Motley Crue. <laughs> so, with the Judean method, they would calculate that a day began evening to evening reckoning of a day. And on the 14th, They would stop working by noon and had the Passover at about 3 p.m. p.m., excuse me, Banaim Ha Baim, between the evenings, and they broke the Afikomin, the Afikomin, right as Yahusha cried out, Afikomin, or in the Hebrew, Kalah, it is finished, or my bride. Just as they would break the afikomen, he would cry out, afikomen, or in the Hebrew, kalah, my bride. Depending on the translation and the language, did he cry out, it is finished, or did he cry out for my bride? Afikomen or kalah. This is on the, on the very tree, and you see this in the Gospel of Yochanan. But that was the Judean, Sadducean method of keeping the feast believing that a day began at sunset to sunset, evening to evening reckoning. But what about the Galileans? Now, the Galileans, this was the Pharisaic method, and they reckoned that a day began at sunrise, at sunrise. So remember, they're going to be at least 12 hours ahead of the Judeans, which accounts for the discrepancy between the synoptic Gospels, and the Gospel of John that you find in the Brit Hadashah. So on the 14th in the evening, before the sunrise of the 15th, is when they ate the Passover. And this is the Passover that Yahusha ate with his Talmudim. Do you see how this clears up that apparent discrepancy? What's going on? You've got two different sects determining when a day begins. And one of them is 12 hours ahead of the other, and that's the way that Yahusha ate the Passover with his Talmudim. Whereas the Feast of the Jews, they were 12 hours later. That was the Judean method. You have to understand, I mean, we live in Oregon here, and Oregon... Some of the laws, we are an extremely liberal state. Why? I mean, I've met many, many times when we go into session here in Salem, many ranchers are coming over to go to the courts because they're petitioning, because they're losing their livestock, their acreage, all of their farming, they're losing it. Why? If you look, I mean, Oregon's huge and it's, it's, it's very rural. 
But the majority of the people that vote live in the Portland area. It's metropolitan and it's liberal. And it affects all of those that live outside. So in Jerusalem was a very liberal metropolitan area and they did the evening to evening, the hip, trendy new way of doing things. The evening to evening reckoning. But the rural area, those down in the Galilee, they were a lot more conservative and they did the traditional reckoning of a day. Sunrise to sunrise. They weren't as trendy and hip as those up in Jerusalem. Do you see? And that's what you've got. You see it today in the societies that we live. And it was no different in the days that Yahushua lived. So the rural area, the traditionalists, the conservatives, they sunrise to sunrise. Yet the modern hip way was the Judean way, the metropolitan way in Jerusalem. It was evening to evening, the Sadducean way. And therefore you have this apparent discrepancy in the New Testament. But it isn't. But we don't understand this because we have what? Daniel tells us. Somebody's come in and just messed it all up and disrupted the law, the Torah, don't even understand how to rightly divide the Torah now. Or what is the Torah? Is it all this rabbinic stuff, all this Levitical stuff? Is it holy, righteous living? Or should we just be lawless and live in grace? And, and what time is it? Is it Easter or Christmas or Passover? I mean, it's crazy. It's been, so we have to find our way back. And that's what we're doing together. I can't do it alone. And neither can you. Because a man who isolates himself, what? Seeks his own. But together we come and we can reason together. And that's what this ministry is about. It is a ministry of reasoning together. We are not self-righteous, but we reason together in humbleness. We are the Kedoshim. Let the others be self-righteous and know it all. I do not know it all. And neither do you. But together we have conversation and we reason because we seek after Zadokah, righteousness. So this is extremely exciting to me, having this revelation of understanding as we come into the Passover season. So what would happen? That Yahushua ate the Passover with his Talmudim. That was the Malkitzedic Passover according to the Galilean method of sunrise to sunrise. The synoptic gospels or the 13th going to into the 14th on the Judean reckoning or evening to evening reckoning. Remember, Judea, it had fallen and was totally at a politically, it was totally and politically and religiously corrupt was it not? But in the Galilee, that's where all the Zadokites were, the righteous conservative ones that wanted to hold on to the old ways, the ways of the Zadokites, like those that lived in the Qumran. That was the zealot stronghold, the conservative stronghold, the sunrise to sunrise down in the Galilee. So what's really amazing is Yahweh is above all of our quarrels, is he not? He is above all of our quarrels, all of our calendar calculation. And he says, well, you know what? 
Yahushua, my son, truly is the Pesach lamb, the Passover lamb. He's going to eat the actual Passover on the Galilean Pharisaic calendar. Yet, remarkably, he's also going to die on the actual Judean Passover according to the temple service. Only Yahweh could plan that, could he not? I mean, that is amazing. And now you have no contradiction within the text. For 2,000 years, theologians have been fighting over this, and nobody has come up to understand, hang on, we've got two different calendars in operation here. We've got the Jews, the Feast of the Jews, doing an evening to evening, a day begins, which is what the rabbis do today. Unless you're pagans, and then we just split the difference, and it starts at midnight. (laughs) Right? Oh, hang on, 11.59. Oh, let's put the clocks back at 2 in the morning. I'm sleeping. I mean, they really are screwed up, right? (laughs) It's, It's some wild stuff. It's some wild stuff. So this is an amazing time. But like I said before I started, it's so important that we remember what... Passover is about. It's more than calendaration. It's important that we do meet, and it's important that we do seek to meet at the right times. I'd like to spend a little time, if you'll let me, sharing with you what Passover is truly about to me. I want to talk about this past week in my life, this past two weeks in my life. And it's really, it's really an object lesson. An object lesson, and it has been an object lesson for me and my family about the danger of sin and the loss of inheritance. Because ultimately, what is Passover about? The week before this week, my children got to go away for four days with Sean and Andrea. My wife and I had no children, listen, in the house for four days. That has never happened. My family is in England, my birth family. They never wash me, they never put salt on me. They ne- that family... My wife's family, her father is dead, her mother, it's another story. But we don't have the natural family around, we have you guys. And Andrea and Sean, as family, and Jenny, they took our children away for four days. It really deeply impacted us because it got to give us time to reset and think about our actions, our parenting, And it was a very deep time. Bear in mind that my wife's brother, at 37 years old, had died the week before. So we were in a very broken state anyway. And we had just gone through a week of sitting shiver that we had organized here at the congregation that was extremely powerful. So we're just in this very, very broken time in our family. Now... It's tough being up here 
because this would be, this would be a hell of a lot easier if I, if I could just stand here and tell you all about how messed up you all are. But instead, <laughs> I have to implicate myself. <laughs> but I believe that Yahweh wants me to do that. But it would be a lot easier just to look out at all of you and say, well, you guys, but I'm going to stand up here and I'm going to implicate myself. Notice my wife's not in here. In Yaakov, James, turn with me to James. It says, Yaakov, in chapter 1, verse 19. So then, my beloved Israelite brothers, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the wrath of man does not bring about the zadakar of Yahuwah. I have that underlined in my scriptures. The anger of man, it doesn't bring about the Malkit Zedek. It does not bring about the zadakar, the righteousness of Yahuwah. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow. It bubbles. It just overflows of wickedness and receive with humbleness. That's what Passover is all about. With humbleness, the engrafted Torah, the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. Now, I realize, and this is going to be a a, a news flash for all of you, but I've come to realize that my blood runs hot. It's pretty much simmering all the time. I I know that that that's just, you just can't, believe that but but it, it does I run hot I mean my blood is just like bubbling and simmering all the time it is I mean I either sleep or I don't sleep I had a day off I think Wednesday and I think I slept for 15 hours got up for two slept for another four got up for three slept for another six and then I went back I mean and then I'll be up I'm good to go couple hours here, a couple hours there, I'll get up in the night, I'll go downstairs, I'll start reading scripture. And, then, and, and so I'm like, all of those bad habits that I created when I was not walking with Yahuwah, with the sleep patterns and just running hot, well, they're still with me. I've just redirected them into productive ways. <laughs> but all that to say this, what we do, it's not all about just asking for forgiveness. But the scriptures give us a lot more than that. The power to hope and the power to change. And that's what Passover is about. The power to hope and the power to change. You see, many of you are looking at me and saying, what are you talking about? We're in the book of James. Are you going to start talking about anger? Well, I am going to talk about anger. Because ultimately... I've come to discover some things about myself that Yahuwah has been trying to show me for a long time, but sometimes it takes brokenness to be able to acknowledge that. And what better time to acknowledge that than at Passover? And many of you are going to sit there and go, well, Matthew, I'm not angry. It kind of sounds like your problem. You know, I don't need to hear about it. But that's not what I'm talking about. It is your problem. You see, it's our problem. It's not just my problem. It's our problem. Why? Because we were all made collectively in the image of an angry Elohim. Were we not? 
Oh, yes, we were. We were all made collectively in the image of an angry Elohim. You see, but that's the difference. Yahweh's anger is utterly right. It's utterly good. It's utterly appropriate. And it is beautiful. It's never fickle. It's never irritable. In fact, his anger flows out of his attributes. It's one of his many attributes. He has 13 attributes. And his anger flows out of his attributes. Yahweh, Yahweh Elohim, merciful, gracious, and long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, who extends mercy to thousands, forgiving the iniquity to the third and fourth generation. But he by no means clears the guilty. But he visits the sins on the fathers to the third and fourth generation. We know he has those 13 attributes. But his anger is utterly righteous because he's loving. Because he's loving towards us. He's angry at what harms us. But it comes from a different place. He's angry at sin. And we need to learn how to harness our anger, the anger within us, and direct it back to its divine origin. Because we all have it, because we were created in the image of an angry Elohim. You see, our anger, our anger though is distorted and it's disordered. It's distorted and it's disordered. How does it sinfully manifest itself? I mean, does it manifest itself in you with irritation? Maybe you're one of those people that just gets irritated. Or maybe you're you're the yeller. You, You yell and you scream. Or is it like a slow simmer? Just like one of those slow simmers. Maybe you're the passive aggressive. Does your anger manifest itself in passive aggressiveness? Or are you the one that just broods? You just brood over all the dark, dirty things that people have done to you over your years. You just go away in the closet and you just brood. Is that how your anger manifests itself? Or maybe you just withdraw and sulk. Or are you explosive? Are you violent? Or do you destroy people through gossip and slander? You see, this is our problem. This is our problem. Or maybe your anger, it manifests itself with just so much sensitivity. Are you one of those people that you can't say anything to because you get so sensitive? Is that how your anger manifests itself in sensitivity and overreaction to things? Or are you just cynical? Maybe your anger comes across in cynicism or harsh tones. The way you speak to people. Or are you the one that just tries to avoid the topic? Does your anger manifest itself by avoidance? Do you try and avoid the topic? Or are you the one that refuses to listen? 
You dismiss and you belittle others and you belittle others' opinions. Is that how you're angry? You see, you see how anger is just perverse and it manifests itself so differently in all of us. But it's all coming from the same place. It's a perversion of the divine origin. You see, all relationships that I've dealt with over the years in counseling, every single one of them has had some connection back to anger. Every single one of them. Every single counseling session that I've done with Everybody that I've done, funerals, births, deaths, marriage, everything is always connected some way back to anger. It's huge. You see, anger is pervasive. It's pervasive. It's everywhere. It's in me. It's in you. But like Yaakov, James instructs us, there's a good anger, a righteous anger, and there's a bad anger. But there is never, it's never neutral. It's never neutral. It's either bad or it's righteous, Zadik. But it is never neutral. It's never neutral. You see, these two angers, the righteous anger and the evil anger, there's the anger of Yahuwah, which is the righteous anger, and there is the anger of man. And they run through the veins of Scripture, do they not? The Scripture is full of anger. It's a record of anger. The righteous anger of Yahuwah as opposed to the evil anger of man. This is a book of anger. It truly is. The anger of Yahuwah and the anger of man. Kadosh, holy anger, the anger of Yahuwah, confronting the unholy, unrighteous anger of man. That's what this book is about. Our ways, our rights, our kingdom, or is it going to be his ways, his rights, his kingdom? That's it. That's this life. That's what this Passover is teaching me. You see, these two angers, the anger of Yahuwah and the anger of man, run through the veins of Scripture. They're the very heartbeat of Scripture. But they can never coexist. They can never coexist. In fact, they're on a bloody collision course. They were on a collision course. The anger of Yahuwah that's righteous and the evil anger of man. They're on a collision course and an inevitable collision course. And that collision course, that very juncture was when? When was that juncture of this collision course of the anger of Yahuwah and the anger of man? Huh? Passover! The righteous anger of Yahuwah is poured out on his son as he nails him. He's nailed to the tree. Yet the wicked, evil anger of man nails the son of righteousness to the tree. They both collide at the very Passover. One is righteous and one is despicably evil. Divine origin 
or what is in us at our birth as we were left unwashed and uncut by the sideways. The collision course is Passover. When Yahweh's righteous anger meets the unholy, wicked anger of man and it collides. And the trouble is, Satan, he didn't understand. He thought he would cause an explosion at that point. He believed that he would cause carnage and mayhem to mankind at that point. Never understanding that from that very collision comes your and mine redemption. From that very anger, that collision came our redemption. So it's huge that we understand anger, which is why I believe that very long-windedly, I'm trying to get to my point, what's been going on in my life these past couple of weeks. You see, we manifest our anger in wickedness, and Yahweh manifests his anger in righteousness. Yahusha bore the full anger of Yahuwah and the full anger of man. He bore both, did he not? It was the collision point of everything that pumps through the veins of something that we hold so dear, the Kadosh, the Kadosh, the holy word of Yahuwah. And from that collision comes our redemption. Be angry. And do not sin. How is that possible? Because we now discard the anger of man and we take on the divine origin, the anger of Yahuwah. Be angry and do not sin. That now can become my and yours life at Passover through what we're about to do over these next few days. We can redeem our anger. Yahweh has shown me. My anger comes from the fact that I was discarded. My anger comes from the fact that my umbilical cord was left uncut. That's where your anger comes from too. That's where all of our anger comes from. We were left unwashed. We were smeared in blood. And yet nobody took the time to teach us of where the divine origin of that anger comes from. That's the truth. Be angry and not sin. Redeem your anger. Transform it and restore it in righteousness. Look at verse 20 of Yaakov, James. For the wrath of man does not bring, it does not produce, it does not pursue the righteousness of Yahuwah. Look at those words. It does not produce, it does not pursue. It's active, isn't it? It's fluid. It's going somewhere. Your anger, my anger, it's not neutral. Oh, it it is trying to accomplish something. Your anger is trying to produce. It's trying to get something. It's trying to go somewhere. Look at what he's saying. Our anger is what? It's active. It is productive. Your anger is productive. It's trying to produce something, but we don't know what it's trying to produce. We don't understand, but we do today. We will today. It's pursuing something. 
It's not aimless. It's not random. It's actively seeking something. It has a purpose and it attempts to achieve something. Look, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak and slow to... Yaakov understands that our anger is moving, that it's trying to pursue something, does he not? Look at the language. Swift, slow and slow. It's active. It's on the move. Our anger's goal is to achieve the righteousness of Elohim. But it does it in such a perverse and twisted way that it causes all of the manifestations that are counterproductive and despicable above all things. It's just misdirected. It's perverse. Our anger is an expression of self righteousness our anger isn't an expression of self-righteousness and listen entitlement i'm sitting down with my cup of tea and my square of hot wasabi chocolate i've been busy all day i'm just about to sit down for my cup of tea and my square of hot wasabi dark chocolate And I get interrupted from a comfort. I'm entitled to that time, is what I say in my self-righteousness. And I get angry, maybe with my wife, maybe with my children. It's actively pursuing something. What? My time? I'm entitled to that. You see, that is idolatry. That's what that is, is it not? And now I'm starting to break this down. Pray for me. This is Passover. This is the feast of unleavened bread. As we're deleavening the house, this is the house with the leaven in it that needs to be deleavened. Blame shifting is a huge part of our anger. A huge part of our anger. Why? Because the wrath of man, our anger, rejects Yahusha bearing our blame. Somebody's got to bear the blame. It's not going to be me. It's going to be you. It's your fault. It's usually Tamara's fault. (laughs) It's not my fault. It's going to be somebody else's fault. It's self-righteousness. Look underneath your anger and there you'll find self-righteousness and entitlement. Look underneath your anger and there you'll find self-righteousness and entitlement. And there, listen, and there, when you do that, you'll find the lamb. You'll find the lamb. James 4. For where do wars and fightings come? Where do they come? Those wars and fightings among you, where do they come from? Do they not come from your desires that war in your members? You desire, you have not. You kill and you desire to have and you cannot obtain. You strive and you fight, yet you have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask wickedly that you may satisfy your lusts, you adulterers and adulteresses. 
Know you not that the Havarah, friendship with the worldly things, is enmity, makes you an enemy of Yahuwah. Whoever therefore wants to be a Havar of the worldly things, a friend of the world, is an enemy of Yahuwah. You fight because you don't get what you want. Obstacles to having what we want produce what? The wrath of man. Obstacles to having what you want produce the wrath of man. Anger is a worship disorder. Anger is a worship disorder. Something other than the Malkitzedic is ruling you. Until he rules you, your own desires will. Until he rules you, your own desires will. What is that that we want that makes us warlike when Yahushua's rule would make us peaceable? We want something. We want something. When we discover what that is, then we become humbled before Yahuwah and can actually see ourselves as we are. Our relentless demand for what we want is idolatry. But he gives us more grace to the humble when we admit the truth to Yahuwah. So because our friends came to us in a time of need and took our children away for four days, we were able to look and start to see how we have not been parenting the way that we want to be parenting. And as my wife has spent the whole week unleavening the house, getting rid of the leaven in the house, we sit down for dinner the other night. Now, remember what I said. Remember what I said. Blame shifting is a huge part of our anger because the wrath of man, our anger, rejects Yahusha bearing our blame. So somebody's got to bear the blame and it's not going to be us, right? It's not going to be me. It's going to be you. It's going to be my children. It's going to be my wife. It's self-righteousness. But when you look underneath that anger, there you'll find that self-righteousness. And when you do, you'll find the lamb. And when you do, you'll find the lamb. So what a, what a couple of weeks. So we're sitting down. I live out in the country, being convicted of all of this. Know that I'm going to stand before you at the Passover. Knowing that my wife's unleavening the house, looking for crumbs everywhere. It's a woman's job. I don't do much around there, you know. <laughs> Apparently, there's a lot more leaven going on in this big lump than there is under the cupboards. We're sitting down for family dinner. And all of a sudden, Papa, Papa, look, look. I look out the window 
My two German shepherds, they have got their head stuck through the fence and they are sh- one of them is shredding the hindquarters off a seven-week-old lamb, tearing its hindquarters out, just ripping and ripping and ripping. There is blood everywhere. I come running out, my wife screaming, my kids are crying, my dogs are going nuts. I'm like, what? The, literally, the hindquarters are shredded. One leg shredded, the other's broken. I go, I put my dogs away, I go round onto the pasture, and this lamb, it's lying there, silent, as the dogs have been tearing it to pieces. I'm in the Word like you guys all the time. I mean, I'm, I mean scriptures are just coming alive. They're, this is not just a norm, this is a, this is a sign. Yahweh is speaking to my heart and he is convicting me right there on the spot. I am, am I, there is blood on my hands. My children are around. My wife is around. I mean, there is blood on my hands. This lamb is bleeding out in front of me. I pick up this lamb. I go to my neighbor's barn. The lamb goes into the barn. It goes in the corner underneath the heat lamp. And I'm standing there, and I'm just like looking at myself. And the whole flock, the whole flock comes in from the pasture, single file, in through the, the barn. It's not easy to get to this point. They, they all come, the whole flock. They encircle this baby lamb that's bleeding out. They nudge it as if they're having this prayer circle, and they're saying goodbye. I go and get my neighbor and I go and explain the things to him. And, you know, he's really decent. He's really decent. And, um, you know, he's like, he he kind of, he's understanding. He's a farmer and he's willing to let it go. And I said, well, I need need to make restitution. He's like, oh, no, 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 no. I said, no, no, no. I said, we do. Bible things, Bible ways over at the Nolan house. I said, I'm going to go back and I need to make this right. I need to know the value of this lamb. He said, well, you know, I, I've got them right now. I'm selling them for $250. <laughs> he said, but, but for you, I'll give you a deal and we do it for $150. i am like, oh, okay. So I go back home and I'm course I go straight to the word and I read in Shemot Exodus chapter 22 verse 9 for all manner of trespass whether it be for an ox or a donkey for sheep for garment or for any manner of lost thing which another challenge to be his and cause of both parties shall come before the judges oh yeah I'm right before the judge at this point the judge of judges and whoever the shof team shall declare to be wrong, oh, I'm so convicted. In fact, I've got blood on my hands. And this is not just about that lamb. This is about the book of James. This is about what's been going on in our house. And he shall pay double to his neighbor. It doesn't say anything about the neighbor's going to give you a deal, Matthew, and you get the 150 deal. So I'm like, oh, I can't give him 300. I've got to give him five. It doesn't say anything. I mean, I'd like to take the deal. He did offer me the deal. <laughs> this is going all through my head. It is. I'm like, 500, man. I've 
I've got like two bucks and a coffee coupon. <laughs> but this gets, this, I mean, this is serious. The only money we have in our house is the money that has been left to my wife when her dad died. That's called an inheritance. Oh my goodness. What? So now I'm starting to put all this together. We've got the lamb that's bleeding out. We've got blood on my hands. And we're biting and devouring one another. And this comes from anger, which is the wrath of man. And when you do that, you're going to lose your inheritance. I mean, can there be more signs at Passover, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread? And where goes the man? There goes his whole household. As my wife's in her white garments and my hands are full of blood. This is serious. Yaakov, James chapter 3, verse 3. We put bits in horses' mouth that they may obey us. And we turn their whole body. We look also to ships, although they were mighty and are driven by fierce winds. They are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. Even so, the tongue is a little member, yet it boasts great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire ignites, and the tongue is a fire, and the sinful world a forest. So is the tongue among our members. It can defile the whole body. And it sets on fire the course of our Israelite race and rolls on like a wheel and it burns on with the fire of hell. For every kind of beasts and of birds and of serpents and of the things of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is unruly. It is evil. It is full of deadly poison. With it we bless Yahuwah, even our Abba, and with it we curse men who are made after the things, the image of the master Yahuwah. Out of the same mouth proceeds brachol, blessings and cursings. My Israelite brothers, these things should not be so. Does a fountain send forth at the same time sweet water and bitter? Can a fig tree, my Israelite brothers, bear forth olive berries or a vine or figs? So likewise, salt water, it can never be made sweet. Who is a wise man and endued with training among you? Let him show a tove, a good, holy lifestyle with his mitzvot in meekness. And in wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, boast not and lie not against the truth. This chokmah, wisdom, descends not from above, but it is earthly, it's sensual, it's carnal, and it's from Satan. For where envy and strife is, there is confusion. Confusion about where anger originates. But the chokmah, the wisdom that is from above, is perfect, and it brings about shalom. Gentle, ready to obey, full of rachamin, mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And those that make shalom sow the fruit of righteousness in shalom. I'm thinking of all these things. 
I go to Galatians and I read in the fifth chapter in the ninth verse, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Beware lest you bite and devour one another, lest you be devoured by one another absolutely. I mean, my dogs are biting and devouring and shredding and I'm looking underneath all of this anger and all of this because I've had a chance to look at the leaven in my life and ultimately the blood is on my hands and I'm seeing all the things that I'm sharing with you this week before the Passover because this isn't just my problem. This is our problem. It's just that I get to come up and make a fool of myself before you all and have literally it spelt out before me with signs because I'm so blind that he literally has to give me that word picture in front of me. Biting and devouring one another leads to a loss of inheritance. And ultimately, it costs the life of the lamb. Literally, outside of my dining room window, the biting and devouring of one another led to a loss of our inheritance, and ultimately, it cost the life of the lamb. Is this Passover? This is Passover. We were behaving like dogs nipping and biting and devouring one another. But when we turn to Yahweh for guidance, we can make restitution and turn our weaknesses into a witness for others. So goes the man. So goes his whole household. And I'm the one which came in with the blood on my hands. And that's what Passover means to me. That's what this year means to me. It's so important that we understand when to gather. It's so important that we do seek Yahweh's Moedim, his feasts. And we want to be on the right calendar. But unless I can get this stuff right, all of that is just religion. So as we make the journey to Passover... Please learn from my mistakes. But this isn't just my problem. This is our problem. Because we've been on a collision course since the beginning. But out of that collision, at that very juncture, comes our redemption. And it happened at Passover. Amen? Amen. Questions, comments. We are so blessed that we can have this time. Tomorrow, we'll make, I'll make a few announcements while we're still on air about um, tomorrow. Or would you like me to do that later? We'll do that later. Okay, any questions, comments? Um, what can they expect for tomorrow? Um, that is one question they are asking online.
Brother John, what can they expect for tomorrow? Brother, pass the microphone to Brother John. He will come up right. and tell you what to expect. I expect to be Why, here. thank you. And I expect to be a better man tomorrow than I am today. But that's about where I'm at right now. You, you must have the notes, then. I do. Okay, so tomorrow, um, what we're going to do is we're going to have Matthew give a message right up front. And then as soon as the message is over, we're going to go through the Seder. He's going to break the bread and bless the wine, and we're going to distribute it. And then after it's distributed, we're going to go through the foot washing ceremony. Now, those of you who are online are going to see a PowerPoint presentation because we're obviously not going to film. We're not going to focus in on the feet. No. Okay. It's been requested, but we better not do that. And then once that's over, we'll come back in here for a time of prayer, and then we'll go back live again, and Matthew will close the service in prayer. Well, that's pretty much it. Are we, aren't we going to have um, a Mediterranean feast afterwards? That will be the own egg. Uh, yeah, oh, afterwards we'll have a Mediterranean feast, so please bring a dish. Or lots of dishes. Yeah, vegetarian only. Um, and there will be no children's service tomorrow. So if your children are in here and they get a little bit unruly, two choices. Take them outside, or Matthew's got some duct tape. I did order some new duct tape, camo, <laughs> camo duct tape. All right. Any other, any other questions, comments? And, and then we'll also be meeting here on the, um, the first day, the High Shabbat of Unleavened Bread. We'll be meeting here at noon for um, fellowship and worship, and then we'll be live streaming on Monday at 1 o'clock. Yes. Very good. That's it, yes. Brother so, in the back. Yes. Uh, when is first fruits? When does that yes, the question on first fruits. Um, the, first, the, the first fruits is next... Um, Yom Echad at sunrise. Tomorrow, what's tomorrow? Yeah, we'll be live streaming at 4 o'clock. Live streaming at 4 o'clock but tomorrow. The but local... the question was, was, when is the Feast of First Fruits? Um, the, the, the day after the, the weekly Sabbath, after Passover. So that would be next Sunday, Yom Echad, in the sun, from sunrise. Right, but we want the local fellowship here by 3, seated and ready to go. So show up a little before, so we're ready to go at 3 o'clock. And we will put up those graphs on the um, um, PDF teaching so you can study them. Because I know we, put, we did put them up today, but only for a, a little bit. So take some meditation, a lot of information. Stick around fellowship, please, please. What's that? Yes, Baruch Hashem Yahweh. Let's close in prayer right now, Abba. We thank you so much. Abba, we thank you, Abba, for this time when, Abba, we can truly search in the house, Abba. The house, Abba, and we can look for that leaven, that leaven, Abba, and we can get it out. I thank you, Abba, for your rachamin, your mercy. I thank you, Abba, for the friendship and love and support of the brethren, both here in the fellowship and online. And Abba Yahweh, we just thank you for the saints, the Kedoshim. Abba, we do bless your Kadosh holy name as we come into your Moedim. Hashem Yahusha HaMashiach. Amen. Amen. Amen.